Welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Zemek, with uh, Saqib Ali. And, uh, you know, these are strange and unusual times. But this very strange time in the world of sports, and specifically the world of tennis, gives various sports, and including tennis, the chance to perhaps figure some things out before uh, we get back to playing, whenever that moment eventually occurs. And one of the things that tennis has to figure out is how to help lower ranked players survive financially during this pandemic, you know, at a time when they don't have a lot of assets or resources to fall back on, unlike the elite players uh, who have made plenty of money. And so if if you've been, you know, we haven't been turning out a lot of written content at tennisaccent.com, but uh, uh, earlier in April, we had freelance writer Karen Health, uh, who's worked for many different tennis outlets, covered a number of the biggest tournaments in the world. Uh, we invited her on because she had a story pitch, uh, and she wrote an extended essay, about 2,000 words, at our site, tennisaccent.com, uh, mapping out a vision of what it might look like to help lower-ranked tennis players uh, retain financial footing uh, in the sport to be able to make a living out of it and uh, for the sport to come together and provide real solutions to a long-standing problem. So maybe in this liminal space, this space between worlds, while we wait to see what a new world looks like, um, maybe some solutions can be found. And so we wanted Karen Health to write about that and explore that issue. And now we have her on uh, in, on our podcast to unpack some of what she wrote and to bring on guests that she knows uh, from various realms to help flesh out some of these points and give you, the listeners, uh, a greater idea of what's going on. So Karen Help, welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Thank you so much. And let me also start by saying thank you for um, offering and, and publishing this piece because I wasn't sure when I wrote it. Uh, whether there would be a lot of people interested in kind of taking on something that's maybe a bit controversial, but, uh, you know, something that's not been unknown uh, within the tennis world. Well, and that, that's really well said, Karen, because no sport or no entity of any kind can grow unless it is willing to be inwardly critical and to deal with controversial topics. Uh, no one gets anywhere skating around the difficult choices and only focusing on what's safe and easy. So that's a perfect segue just into getting more of an insight from you as we start our conversation on what you wrote about, why you wrote it, uh, and exploring some of the main tension points that we're going to get into with uh, the guests that you brought along um, for this conversation. Okay, thank you. Um, so, yeah, I would like to introduce um, John Bolin. John and I met, I think, back in 2011 up in Carlsbad, California at a now defunct uh, WTA event. Um, John is an international tax accountant as well as a CPA. And through his journey with tennis, since I met him, he now is actually a tax accountant to a number of players and I think largely WTA. So John, welcome and thank you for joining us from Florida. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate you having me on. You too, Matt. Thank you. So before we get into discussion, I just want to also speak to the basis for this. What our intention here is, to anyone listening, is to create a space for a dialogue. 
we know that there's a lot of different things going on within tennis right now, trying to figure out a, how do we restore play? When can this happen? How can this happen? As well as now, how do we help the people who have been fighting throughout the years in the lower ranks to not have to give up on their dreams during this time when there really is no money available to them and they're largely young people who you know, haven't had career time to bank some money to get them through hard times, don't necessarily have job experience or even advanced education to try to find other ways to make money at this time. And then, of course, with the coronavirus you know, mandate to stay at home, that makes getting income even more challenging. That said, thoroughly aware, this is not just a tennis issue, right? Um, this is just the same story that we're talking about with so many other people out there who are struggling. And this one just happens to be tennis because it's the industry I've written about and I'm passionate about and gotten involved in. But, uh, you know, our, our thoughts and hearts go out to anybody that's truly struggling right now. And we know that's a large population. Um, the intent of this is to bring someone to the table each week who has a story, has a perspective, uh, perhaps needs a voice and a platform to talk about their situation or their expertise, uh, perhaps and hopefully what they're doing to try to help move forward and help tennis to find a solution. And maybe tennis can become an example for for other industries who have similar issues struggling to keep, um, I hate kind of using this this term, but the bottom tier of their employees alive and going so that when everything restores to normal, you know, people aren't left out in the cold. So that's where we are. We really want to be solution-oriented, positive. This is not a forum to trash anybody. So uh, that that's not, not something that's going to be permitted in these dialogues. And uh, that's our intention. That's it. We're also completely open to anyone you know, within the industry side, if someone from the WTA would like to speak or ATP or ITF, USTA, by all means, you know, any and all voices are welcome at this time. Okay. Karen, do you, do you I, I imagine you have some questions for John. Do you want to lead off with one or do you want me to, to lead off? Uh, you can go ahead and get the ball rolling. Okay. <laughs> so, John, I guess the, just a general lead-in question about, you know, since you're you're privy to some of the challenges that players face in terms of uh, how they do their taxes, how they juggle their incomes. What's, what's the biggest myth that needs to be debunked about tennis players' finances and what they reasonably can or can't uh, uh, deal with in terms of the financial pressures of their profession? Well, I think that the biggest myth is that most of the people that I know, they think that tennis players are rich. And that's true for the maybe the top 40 or 50, but, you know, most of the players are actually struggling on the tour. Even, even those who wind up at the end of the year with a positive net, net gain on their business, if you want to call it that, um, they, they have to struggle because they have to have the money to fly to the next place. They have to, a lot of times, you know, especially in doubles, the venues don't give them very many nights at the hotel. So they're they're either finding somebody that they know to stay with or they're paying money out of their own pocket, even for hotel expenses. And uh, when I first found out about the ins and outs, about how the players do and how much they have to spend, it's to me, the first thing, it's just unbelievable that there's not anybody out there 
booking their flights, getting a, an airline or two to be um, sponsors for these players because they wind up actually playing, paying top dollar to fly. Uh, I, you know, I've seen them pay six to $700 just to fly across the U.S. from one side <laughs> to the other, 1200 or $1,500 just to fly from continent to continent because they have to book a flight and maybe go out the very next day or even the same day. And so the, the idea that players are rich, it just, it, it just, it's just unbelievable to me. And I see so many um, singles players, lots of doubles players, they don't even know if they're going to get in to the, to the, to the matches. Some of them know they'll make it, but there's so many people on the border that they actually fly to the venue hoping that they're going to get in, hoping they're going to make the cut. And, uh, you know, and they fly there on their own money. There's no money for them uh, other than whatever they earn at the venues. And to me, it's just, it's just unbelievable that, that the, there's no, there's no, um, uh, what, what would you call it? Uh, what do they call it? The, uh, there, there's nothing there for them to fall back on, nothing to fall back on. There's no money from anywhere if they don't make it. And to me, to me, that's just insane because you, you guys were talking, I think Karen mentioned that this could apply to other businesses, but you know, the businesses, I'm, I'm from Naples, Florida, and the businesses here, like, like uh, restaurants, they feel for their, their waitresses and people they laid off, but you know, they don't care if they get the same ones back, truthfully. We have to have the tennis players come back. We have specific people that have to come back in the tennis industry. And so it's a little bit different than the other businesses out there. Um, it, we, have to, we have to have players that know how to play come back. We're just not going to go out and pick people up off the street or, or, or whatever like the restaurants do. And, um, you know, it's, so it's, it's different. And it's harder. And, I mean, talk about restaurants. You know, there's a, a player that put out on the blog that she was looking at working in a restaurant because she has no money. And she's a relatively famous player, um, and so so it's uh, it's it's interesting to see um, that hopefully someone would help these players. You know, uh, they were they were shocked at Indian Wells, and then finally I understand they got the they got the first round money. But um, uh, I know I know a, a player, a famous player, flew in the night before. And in that morning, they canceled it. They canceled it. Um, so it was a uh, it, it, it was a shock to a lot of players. Yeah, and just to add on, I, I don't think John is indicating that was the wrong decision to cancel it, but just no, the circumstances no. for the players were particularly difficult, um, especially again because of the international travel and all the logistics of getting there. Right, and and no money. I mean, they paid all right. that out of their own pocket. So right. you know, no, I don't, I don't, no, no, I'm not questioning that they shouldn't have canceled it. I think, I think. Yeah, I'm was, sure you weren't. Just wanted to clarify. Yeah. 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 Thanks. All right. Well, John, you know, I don't want to be, you know, since I write about tennis, I try not to be a Twitter doctor when a player gets injured. And I try not to be in this conversation, a Twitter tax accountant. So without trying to pretend that I know much of anything in detail about taxes, I just want to give the forum to you so that you can perhaps educate listeners on some of the challenges and the nuances that you find when you help players 
with their taxes? Like, what are some of the common problems? What are some of the common solutions? And what perhaps uh, needs to be done in terms of amending uh, the tax structure, tax code in ways that will, will help uh, lower ranked tennis players uh, be able, you know, be able to survive more uh, financially in the profession? Okay. Well, when you're talking about taxes, you know, t players pay taxes in France and the UK, Australia, Canada, and the US. They're the main, the, the main places they have to can be concerned about. And so, in every country, if they, if they make enough, some countries, and some countries, if you don't make a whole lot, you don't have to file tax return. But if they make, if they make so much money, they have to hire an accountant in every country, each country, because they have to have an expert in each of those countries to file taxes. I, I've tried. I've tried in the UK, and it's almost impossible. I, I did get, I did do, I did one for an example, and I finally got it through. It's just really hard if you if you're not a member of the system in each of these different countries in the u.s um if i'm uh, talking about international players not american players but for international players uh they can they can write off their expenses for all the venues that they play in the u.s so they do a business schedule just like you might uh, as a schedule c on their uh, sole proprietor and what they do is they put their income in and then they put all their expenses they've got to save all their receipts in the u.s for airlines for hotels uh for stringing for coaches for physio and you know players don't always want to save the receipts and that's so that's a hard that's a hard thing right there uh, also meals, but so so if um, if if someone plays in the U.S., they have to file a tax return because they're forced to give up thirty percent of their winnings at each tournament toward the tax in American taxes. They're 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 that money is taken off of their wages. They never see it. Uh, so if somebody say a really good player, they win $100,000 at the U.S. Open, say. Out of that 100000 they only get 70000 because IRS gets the other 30000 So when that, I started that doing this... That account for expenses like travel, trainers. No, they take it right off the top. Right. And when I started doing this, players didn't even know it, that they could get their money back or most of their money back. And, you know, the American... Then, then besides that, there are treaties. We have, the U.S. has treaties with many different countries, different types of treaties. And so if you're Russian, you get all your money back. No questions asked. Uh, because we have a treaty that Americans playing there don't have to pay Russian taxes either. So it's interesting. There's a lot of nuances about, about doing this. It's not, not so easy. That's just for foreign players. Now, for American players, American players, they have to pay. They have to pay tax, U.S. tax on earnings all over the world. So they have to, 52 weeks out of the year, or how many whatever weeks of that 52 they play, they have to keep really good records because they have to claim all that money, and then they take all their worldwide expenses off of that, and then any tax they've paid in those countries that I mentioned before, like the U.K. for instance. 
if they pay those taxes, they can take those taxes as a credit against the U.S. taxes. But still, it's a real record-keeping uh, burden on those players, on the American players. So, you know, you always think about these guys or, or women that want to get their green card. Well, once you get the green card, you're an American for tax tax purposes. And this is probably the, the worst thing about becoming an American for these players because now they're they're going to be taxed on, on everything. And so a lot of times you'll see the players getting the green card like a year year or two before they're they were going to retire, truthfully. And then they can stay in the U.S. and coach here and do whatever they want in the U.S. And uh, so that's that's what the situation is with the taxes. So it's uh, it's tough. There's no information given out by the WTA or ATP, even though they might say there is. OK, they've got to be more um, forthcoming with information. Uh, there's some if you look on the on the player, the player zones, there's some information. But, you know, I think they could um, I think they can help these people because, I mean, you're talking about 16, 17, 18 year old girls starting out, for instance. How they how would they know what they have to do with taxes? And then you take someone that doesn't speak much English. How do they know they're going to get back 30 percent of what their winnings were if they file? It's a it, it's tough. And I, I will say then one thing, the WTA and other people, they they are. They are. They know this. They, they, you know, they help us. They help us when we have to go get information, because they, they, they do. Each venue has to do a form with the winnings on it that's reported to the IRS, and we've got to get these forms. It's really difficult for the players to get them, and uh, because they don't know what they're asking for, so we have to try to get them. And they're WTA and ATV, They're very helpful with us. You know, they, they actually try to, uh, try to help them, but it's hard because there's. You, you think about it, every country has a different taxation system and, you know, it's just it's just a, a difficult thing. It's not easy. Darren, you want to ask a set of questions to John? You know, John, I know I'm not asking you to reveal any personal information on average. And obviously within the, probably the lower ranked tier players you work with, what's a typical annual salary like? annual salary that's good mm -hmm. well let me just say but i, I know it's not players, i do have both women and men in the top 10 that i deal with okay, okay. so okay but but obviously a couple of those don't make up for most of the practice most of the practice i have very low ranked players mm -hmm. i have um i have college college players you know if you're uh to me the greatest thing you could do if you're if your daughter especially because of uh Sec, uh, of the, what's that called? Section seven or whatever it is. Anyways, um, I, if I were in, in Eastern Europe or somewhere, I'd want my daughter to come here and play tennis because they get full full boats, full scholarships at college. They give them a yeah. job, and they, those girls have to pay. They have to pay uh, taxes. So mm -hmm. I've done a number of the students. Uh, that's about as low rank as you can go because some of them are maybe ranked. 700 or something you know they're, they're if they have a ranking at all they play sometimes mm -hmm. in the off season but but now you go into the typical players you take a doubles player um uh and and i don't want to go into this this is a whole nother subject about yeah, how doubles is a whole nother yeah doubles doubles <laughs> is you know they don't like doubles they 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 want they want singles players to play doubles and all that but anyway but you take doubles players doubles players who only play doubles um, 
very difficult for them uh, to to survive. And uh, and then the player, the single players who don't get in the main draws, or maybe don't even get in the qualifying draws very often, those people have a really tough time. Those the, the same the doubles and the the players who are trying to make it into the qualifiers, they have the same problem. They go to they have to go to the venues and hope that they get in. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, there's a list and the higher ranked players, they know they're getting in. But when you're down there and hoping you're gonna get in, you, you're calling ahead to find out who signed up, how many they got, whatever they can give you about it, you know. But but a lot of times until you actually go there and there, you don't know for sure if you're gonna get in or not. And that's a very difficult thing because you've got people paying money out ahead of time with zero, with maybe, you know, with a zero guaranteed earnings on this. And that, that's terrible. But, you know, so you take a player, you take a player who makes, say, even 100000 a year. Now, remember, there's a big discrepancy in tennis because the $100,000 a year winnings player they can't hire a coach. They can't hire a physio. They don't even have a hitting partner. If they're lucky, they know somebody at some venues that can hit with them. All right. So, I mean, I've been named a coach a number of times. Mm-hmm. I'm a coach, you know, but they at least I can go out there and help them a little bit, you know, or whatever they need, you know. Yeah, you can get them some water or carry their bag. Yeah, I got one girl <laughs> pair of sneakers one time, you know. I mean, you got to, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But if they don't know anyone, you know, look how hard that is to somebody in the top 10 that brings in five people just in their, her entourage. Mm-hmm. And it's such, it's that's the whole, un, that's a real unfair thing if you think about it. So giving a little bit of money out to the lower ranked players make so much sense. It just makes, it's so obvious. I'm, I've seen different, different ways of giving them out. I like your article, Karen, by the way. I thought that was really well, well written. I've often thought about the, um, the, the four slams, how much extra money they have, mm-hmm. how low of percentages that U.S. Open gives out compared to NHL, you know, NFL, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I just, I just think that there's money there, and you know that we could that that we the tennis the tennis um, associations can give out to the players, um, and um, I I think that. Um, I think they really need to help them right now. Um, I've, I've got to tell you, my American players, they're applying for uh, unemployment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it's a, that's a difficult thing. Here in Florida, it's a just insane. The system here is insane. I mean, you, they had to have somebody from Mad Magazine make this thing up. Seriously. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get through you hung up on you can't you can't get anything you can't get any answers you can't get it done online people yeah. get it done online it's almost like let's have a party you know so um, so john if i can interrupt so given your experience and the stories the people you know what you've seen if you could change just one or two things for these players obviously get them some stream of money coming down to support their ability just to compete right and and potentially make a wage that they can survive on um but are there other things that you you've thought of that you think you know could make a significant difference i mean it sounds like your your knowledge of 
taxes is certainly <laughs> helpful information. But beyond that, um, you know, I've seen you all around in Cincinnati and Paris and other places. So I know you, you have that direct contact um, with players that don't have the entourage, don't have all the support, or pretty much out there on their own trying to make it happen. What do they need? What do they need? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I like the idea of a stipend like you've mentioned and a lot of people have mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to think of something that's taxable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what's not taxable with, that they need really, really badly is airfare. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I mentioned that just briefly, but just think if just think if their airfare would be paid. Let's just say. Uh, everybody who in any tournament, I don't care if it's ITF, WTA, whatever, if if just the people that would be in the qualifying draws and even the main draws, even the, the really wealthy people even, why not have a system where you pay the airfare for the, for the player, mm-hmm. not for coaches or anything else, but just the player? You know, first of all, it's not taxable to the player if, right. if that happened. And it would be so helpful. I mean, I just can't imagine. You, you know, the the team sports, they all fly on the team plane, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, if a, if a major league soccer player here in the United States, if they make $400,000, that's $400,000 in their pocket minus the tax they have to pay on it. Right. But, but you know, because everything else is provided for them. I mean, I, all I'm saying is let's provide for the players, uh, I think I, I, I like what the WCA did this past year. They, they've actually added nice hotel nights on, and, mm-hmm. and that's a step in the right direction because you figure you go for a week, where are you going to stay if, you're only, if, they only, if someone only gives you four nights? Right. What happens the other three nights? Um, even Yeah, you may lose, but is that an excuse to kick you out of your hotel? Or make you pay for it. I mean, you know, those are the things that, to me, could be could be done better. Um, I think uh, I think uh, doing that would be would be good. The other thing is locally, um, the venues. Some venues, you know, they give uh, they give the players a book for food for especially evening meal. You can go out to different restaurants and eat for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's I think that's a really good idea that they could market that at every venue. Um, because I mean, that, that gets, you know, the restaurants like it because they get noticed, you know, the player walks in, um, and everyone's and, taking selfies and tweeting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens is, you know, again, it's tax free and it's really great for the players. So now if you did those things, hotels, food, playing now, now it evens it up a little bit because now the, at least the players don't have to put money out of their own pocket to play. If they want to travel by themselves, they don't pay anything. They've got to pay for stringing and some normal little things, but you know, they, it takes that whole thing away from it and it makes it so much more, so much fairer because, and that, you know, that's what we like to see. We're supposed to be equal playing fields, right? Equal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that would, that would really help if they could do that. Um, other than a sign, I mean, I think first of all, Karen, I like, I like your idea better than my idea. But I think my idea could be done with little money out of the pockets of organizations because I would think people would want that sponsorship. Absolutely. Yeah, one of those worldwide 
um, airline, air, air, airline, uh, airline hotel chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you'd see it, you know, I, I'm not going to mention airline names, but, you know, you'd see it one here in the U.S., a European one, they all buddies, and they could all, you know, get free advertisement. So, right, right. you know, but anyway, I'm sorry, no, I hope I didn't talk too long about that. No, 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 it makes a lot of sense, and, you know, it's certainly an aspect to playing tennis at a lower level that's challenging, you know, uh, to add on to your story, one of the first times I really became aware of this was when I was volunteering at the event in Carlsbad, there was a young player came in to get her credential and she was just huffing and puffing, carrying two bags, sweating and just saying, where's court 12? I got to play in 30 minutes. And she had flown in from the East coast to San Diego on a red eye all by herself, had just lost the day before. And I mean, all I could do was like grab her a couple bottles of water and I said, give me your bag. I'll take you, you know, I marched over to the court. So she wasn't even going to have like time to warm up or nothing. You know, maybe time for a bathroom break, rinse her face off with some cold water and step on court. So that that's a real story. And that that yeah. was the first time where I went, gee. That is a know, real this- story. How about the other story, Karen? Do you remember the story that, you know, you have to fly into Carlsbad, right? Remember the mm-hmm. remember the player that felt that flew into Carlsbad, New Mexico instead of Carlsbad, <laughs> California? Oh, yeah. yeah. Now think yeah. about it. You know, where yeah. where was her help? <laughs> I mean, OK. Right. And, and again, if English isn't. The first language, easy to get that confused, right? So um, moving this forward a little bit, um, you know, let's, let's also give some, some accolades to some of the people and organizations who have started to respond. Um, The USTA has talked about a $50 million package. LTA has talked about some interest-free loans within a package that they've put together. Um, the ATP, you know, the players have drafted a, an initiative to come up with $4 million as a starting point, you know, the players themselves. So I, I think that's probably an unprecedented response. I don't know if that's ever happened before in sport <laughs> where players are supporting their competitors. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of good things starting to happen. And the one thing that I do hope, though, is that rather than having a thousand different little solutions and they can all come from all these different places, but they fold up onto an, a, a unified umbrella, right? Um, because there are economies of scale and you know, this as an accountant, if, if a hundred different organizations are responding and creating a fund, that means it's a hundred funds, a hundred accountants, a hundred banks, a hundred, you know, groups of staff that have to disperse the funds and collect the money and you lose efficiency in that because you're having to pay too many times for the same activity versus putting things together in a more umbrella-like fashion where you create efficiencies by not having to have so many people repeating the same activity or the same work. Um, yes. And then with that said, you know, I, I don't know as much about the ATP piece in terms of WTA. I've read a couple things where I think there is some language to offer that money to WTA along with ITF, but I'm, I'm going to say I need to clarify that and confirm it, you know, but I don't want to see WTA left out. You know, I don't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to lose any aspect of the tour that we currently have. We don't want to lose doubles players, right? There, this is a, 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 in my opinion, you don't want to lose doubles players because here in Florida, at least there's so many people go there. We have all these leagues here in Florida and they all play doubles. So, 
doubles is important to, to for tennis. And I tell you what, there's a player I should I, I can't mention, but she's on the she, she she's a doubles player that now has some power, and she's all about making doubles more more famous. You know, having mm-hmm. doing more marketing for it. And I mean, I'm all for that, and I I think it's important. And if you look at the schedule, you know, without mm-hmm. doubles players and the doubles thing, you wouldn't have anybody playing on the outside courts. So if people would come with a with a, a like a day pass, they're not going to see tennis after the first couple of days. Mm-hmm. And so me, to me, doubles play is really important. Um, and, and it's exciting. This yeah. is the thing I've never gotten is the excitement of doubles and the camaraderie of the players on court creates some really fun moments that you just don't typically see in singles. So to me, it's almost, it's almost like a separate sport, if you will. Um, and I don't want to use the word separate because I think unity is the right word that we need right now. But it, it just, that, again, that's a whole other podcast we can talk <laughs> about another time. So yeah. to stay focused, I want to bring us back to um, two things, and I'd love to hear opinions. Um, Serena Williams' coach, Patrick Moragatulu, has you know stepped up in the last couple of days and is has apparently pulled together uh, what he's calling the ultimate tennis showdown, which I believe is going to be televised starting May 16th, um, bringing together a couple of interesting players. I think I saw David Goffin, one of my favorite all-court players on the ATP, is is signed up to be involved in it. And then also Rafael Nadal, uh, the Academy, is looking at hosting some more local, you know, small events just to kind of get some large, uh, some, some live tennis going again uh, I applaud them in that I you know I'm sure they're going to do their due diligence in trying to figure out in this world that we're living in right now how to make it you know safe for everyone coming Rafa also has a number of young players who either were training at his academy or potentially got stranded over there that he's sheltering now so I'm sure they're quite versed in health services policies and things like that. So they may in fact be an ideal location. So I've just said a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Curious what the, what you guys think about these things and, you know, ha- have you read much about it, looked into it at all? What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think it's great. First of all, I think it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm happy to see this happening because um, you know, I, I hate to say it, but maybe the virus is a good thing in a way to to that people are coming together and in tennis. This is the best. This is the best initiatives ever that I've ever seen. You know, I mean, there's times when when a lot of the lower ranked players think, well, the top ranked players don't care at all about us. You know, they won't vote for us. They wouldn't want to expand the the player, the, the you know, the the the, uh, the the prizes for lower ranked players and all this stuff. Well, now, I mean, that's proven wrong. I mean, seriously, I, I think I think now that um, that everyone sees the need, and and hopefully, like you're saying, I I think they 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 can support these players, you know, and that they'll be there when tennis resumes. You'll have these players there. You know, it's uh, it's tough to open it up again. I mean, it's going to be so hard. I, I, you know, I. You know, I, I don't know. I I don't know what the odds are, but I the U.S. Open really looks doubtful to me. Any any more tennis this year, it looks doubtful. Um, but I can't see why you couldn't play juniors or ITFs. Get away from the don't have ball kids. You know, just like mm-hmm. and just 
get your own balls, you know, so you only have to worry about the opponent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the lines people and the, and the chair up, they're pretty far away if there are lines people even, but they're far away. So, and if you have a chair up by itself, I mean, you know, and the fans are spread out, a few fans that come, um, I can't see why you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that could that could be done on the first phase of the like the first phase here in the U.S. that's supposed to happen. That could be done. Um, right. uh, yeah. And I thought kind of an irony of the BNP Paribas Open being the first to cancel is that is one of the few or maybe the only venue that has Hawkeye on every single show court. So mm-hmm. you don't even need lines. People just go to all Hawkeye. Um, you know, keep, keep some challenges and, you know, it, it, it's a facility that's vast. So mm-hmm. you could let in a few people, I don't know, you know, cap it or, or play without fans. Zverev has actually talked about, he thinks he would prefer to do that right now. Um, so I think there are great ways to minimize risk and that's going to be the key element. You know, how do we balance the desire to have normal again and you know feed our passion for this sport but also being very mindful of not taking unnecessary risks because at the end of the day it's a sport it's not life or death uh and we don't want to be a a part of that uh but i think there's some great thoughts and people acting and stepping up who have the ability to really uh devise solutions and and make this happen so that tennis along with the rest of our lives and the rest of our world activities can resume at some point. Um, Matt, you know, the rest of the rest of the crew on, what do you guys think about some of these small tennis initiatives? Well, well, I think that, you know, in terms of perhaps being a fundraising vehicle, that that, that would be uh, to me, and I don't know the specifics on what these uh, special initiatives might try to achieve but you know if if it was fundraising for lower ranked players for instance mm-hmm. you know that would be that would be a clever creative way to you know get at some of the structural uh imbalances that are part of the sport so uh you know in terms of actually staging matches i think we have to be very err on the side of caution there um but uh you know if, if like if things to show directly uh support for players you know and, and the lower ranked players who are who have struggled to uh find financial footing in the sport you know anything anything in that direction uh you know that from the well-heeled players that can flow down to uh most of the rest of the sport you know i think that that's well worth considering john i wanted to ask you uh another particular question i you know, I, I think that a lot of casual fans listening to this at home were probably surprised by what you said at the very beginning of, of this conversation that, you know, outside of the top 40 or 50, uh, don't, one should not think that tennis players, you know, are making a, a comfortable living. Uh, I think, I think a, a lot of people probably assumed that, you know, if you're in the top 100, more specifically, you know, if you're automatically getting direct entry into the main draw at the four majors each year and you're getting that first round paycheck um that that you and you know this this obviously then goes to uh the masters 
tournaments and the premier mandatories for players who are, you know, in that 50 to 65 range as well. So saying that, that the top 50 uh, alone uh, confers a relatively comfortable standard of living, I'm sure a lot of listeners uh, had their uh, had their their eyes grew when you said that. Um, any particular details of like you know players that you've done taxes for in that let's say sixty to one hundred ranking range that put a little bit more meat on the bone in terms of explaining why being in the back end of the top hundred isn't necessarily a comfortable. Uh, spot financially for for a lot of tennis players on the two tours. Yeah, I can I can I can add more to that. the 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 problem there is that yes, the you, the idea is to get into the four slams, and yes, they're lucky because they they all made the main draw of the slams. Not many other tournaments, but the slams they all made the main draw in in that ranking. And but here's the problem. They're not out there on the on the tour by themselves. So the average player in that in in those ranks, they'll bring two people with them. You know, they can you can coach a physio, a coach, assistant coach, whatever. So when they go to a tournament, first of all, they pay all the air for those extra players, people, not players, they for their extra people. They have to pay for their hotel rooms. And and I've seen ways that the players juggle around to try to get at least one free room by sleeping together and other stuff, you know, um, two to a room and stuff. Um, but anyway, um, but they have to pay for that. And then at most venues, only the coach will have some money for food during the day. So they they either give them their their um um, badge to get food or the, the people have to pay for it and then at night they have to pay for their own food so now instead of just feeding one person they're feeding three people and and that's what the, that's where the problem comes in because all these expenses mount up um, and uh, you know coach coaches are expensive um, very expensive somebody could somebody could win say making up a number somebody could win eighty thousand dollars and pay out thirty thousand dollars just on coaches if they have an agent there's another big percent and so you know people in that in that category they're trying to keep up with the top players they a lot of people have agents that a lot of people bring an average of two people maybe three or four people and so that's where that's why it gets so expensive and when you're so the better, playing, the better the player is like that, the more expense they have because they, they're trying to move up and it becomes very expensive for them. That's, that's the answer to your question. Okay. Karen, did you want to follow up on uh, anything else that you had in mind with John? Uh, no, I think John, you've given us a really great perspective on the realities, uh, the financial realities for, you know, as you said, not just the ones below the top 100, but even, you know, below top 50. Um, you know, so I thank you for that. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it's great to have someone who really has the true experience, you know, well, I've, seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of the numbers and Karen, I got to mention something to you. You know, I love the picture on your cover 
with Arthur Ashe. You know, Arthur and I were in the, in the Army together. We were both first lieutenants back in the day. So um, I always like to see Arthur, you know, it's good. Yeah, I took that. I used to live in Richmond, Virginia, and I was there visiting and had an opportunity to snap it. And then when I thought about the article and Matt was asking me which photos I wanted to include, I thought, yeah, Arthur, that makes sense. So thank you. Um, So let's just wrap up a little bit. I'm going to throw just one more last question out. You know, something that occurred to me is maybe, and John, you alluded to, maybe coronavirus, coronavirus itself isn't a good thing. Maybe because we have to adapt due to coronavirus, that those adaptations will be a good thing. So do you think that tennis as we know it is going to have to be, pardon the expression, broken and kind of reassembled in a different way in order to move forward after this. You're asking me that. Anybody on the call. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough, because that's a really tough question. You know, the tennis, the tennis organizations, they have a lot of power. And, mm-hmm. you know, no, nobody wants to give up that power. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it could be changed, but I don't think we're going to break the organizations. Um, and I've talked to players for 10 or 15 years that are so upset they want to they want to go in they want to change things they want to become quote the new Billie Jean King you know mm-hmm. uh, it's real difficult you, you can't do that it's almost impossible so I don't think it's going to become broken I think maybe all the organizations like they are are, are going to look different on it once mm-hmm. it's over and they're going to try to do more maybe for the for the players that aren't as high ranked as as some, I mm-hmm. think I think they can they can do that, and uh, yeah, I, I think that um, I think this this could be a big change, but not not to break the organizations, Karen. I I don't see anything changing it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really don't. John, let me follow up on one specific point. What what is your take on the feasibility and the political realism of the players on the two tours forming a union a very loose union um i don't think that the men players and this isn't detrimental the men players they feel that they have a better product they can make more money it's i don't know how they i don't know how you'd get them to want to share their revenues with the women i mean any more than that that's happening right now and i hate to say this because i'm a big fan of women's sports believe me and and but you know it's not equal the men play way better tournaments during the year it's not equal it's it's not and the men the men make a lot more money the system you know than the wta and it's just the way it is and it's hard to get them to share it would get to become part of it it would have to be it would have to be almost a miracle for that to happen and it's just like trying to do something with the slams. The slams make all that money. They're not going to share that any more than they have to with everybody else. I'm sorry. That's the way business is, you know? And what about uh, the idea? What about the idea of separate unions? Separate unions, I think would be good. I really, I really do believe it's good. And I think that's something that's needed. And um, there's some players out there that would be very good at as as an organizer and very good in this but it's you know it's not the easiest thing to do um you know players want to they want to play 
truthfully. They don't want to think about a lot of different uh, business decisions and things like that. Um, and then by the time they retire, well, you know, some of these women that were really outspoken, once they retire, they don't care anymore. You know, it's just, it's just funny like that. And uh, some, some of the women that I thought would become very possible union organizers, if you want to say that, they just, they just don't do it. They just, it doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, so, so I don't, I'd like to see a union, but I, I, I'm not sure how we can do that. And we've got to be very careful with the union because I've seen some, I've seen some things that people that are pushing certain unions and things, and basically it's just another agent, if you want mm -hmm. to say that, you know, another way of being an agent. So you've got to have, I think my whole point is, Matt, that um, I think if you're going to do a union, you have to have the players, the current players involved. Yeah. Yeah. And with unions, I mean, like you said, there's always an opportunity for corruption whenever money's involved. So if something's going to be done, it has to be done right with people who truly are looking out for the interest of players. You know, quoting Nick Curious a few years ago when people talked about you know, him needing a coach, he said, yeah, but I want somebody who cares about me as a person. Yeah. You know, that was, a, that was a, a telling remark from him as quite a young man. Um, so, you know, in closing though, one thing that I think also needs to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of changes at the organizational levels, but I also truly believe the players are at a point where they need to make the mental shift and understand they are not powerless. Um, whether they organize into a union or something else, they are the game. These stadiums and roofs and tennis gardens and, you know, restaurants and, you know, all of these things are great. But if there's no game, if there's no one on the court battling it out, none of this stuff matters. And I think for too long, you know, especially because they're young and they're passionate about a sport and they just, they just want to play. Like you said, I just want to play. I just want to compete. It's what makes me thrive. It's what makes me feel good. And that's it. But perhaps that passion has been, I'm going to use the word loosely, um, also been a little bit of a manipulation because mm -hmm. if you choose tennis as your profession, in my opinion, by virtue of being a profession, you should be paid. If somebody's making money because you're out there sweating it out, battling it out, training every day, traveling the world, I'm kind of feeling like you should be compensated in some way, especially if you're in the top, you know, at the very least 500 best in the industry in the world. We're not even talking about a single country in the world. Right. So I think, a mental shift on the behalf of the players as well to understand they have power. There is no game without them. There is no sport without them. There's no revenue without them. I, I agree that the players have to change their mind if they're going to do that, because right now players don't think they, there's anything they can do. That's pretty much what it's at, where it's at with the, with the younger players and with the players, not in the top, uh, top 50. So that that's where that's where it really comes to, you know, they, they they don't think there's I would say almost to a player. They don't think there's anything they can do about it. And, you know, that's that's where they are. And, you know, like I said, to 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 for someone to get on 
council or whatever, anything they, where they have even a little bit of power, it would be good. But, you know, and I think right now the, the girls that are on for the WTA, I think they're actually listening. They're really thinking. I, have, I, I think they're good. But, um, you know, they hopefully something can happen now because of the, of the virus. But I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how the the other players are thinking right now, except that, hey, we don't have a we don't have any money coming in. I think that's the only thing they can think of. I found out today there's a player stuck in New York City. Can you imagine? Stuck. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. and I, I have two players north of Tampa. Um, you know, <laughs> they're in a nice place, but what are they going to do? You know, uh, yeah. you can only. Practice and, so hard. and what expenses are they racking up if they're having to stay somewhere that isn't home? Yeah, Boy. exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. But this has been a great conversation. Very much enjoyed it, John. Great insights. Um, as we move forward, this will be a weekly series for how long? We don't know. We're going to keep talking as long as people want to talk, as long as folks want to listen, um, as long as this continues to go on. And with the goal of being just another platform for people to get information, to have their story told, and hopefully contribute in some small way to positive solutions that will work for everyone involved. Karen, thank you so much. And, and we do want to tell our listeners on the Tennis with an Accent podcast that Karen's going to be part of, part of the show the next several weeks to unpack that piece that she wrote. You know, we, we do have plenty of time on our hands so we can have these free form wide-ranging conversations such as today's with John Bowen uh, so we're going to have more of these conversations in the weeks ahead and we certainly uh, welcome input if you have questions that you'd like uh, Karen or Saki or myself to help address with the guests that we keep bringing on that the guests that Karen will help uh, bring on the show it, you can reach out to us at accent underscore tennis uh, you can follow me at M Zemek on Twitter, and you can also follow Karen at it, it, Follow T Tours. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so questions and input. You can. I mean, Twitter's an, an easy place, an easy outlet uh, to send questions our way, so that we can get those questions answered uh, by people from the tennis community over these next few weeks. So, uh, for Sakib Ali, this is Matt Zemek. Thanking. Uh, John Bowen and Karen Health for joining us. Thank you for the wonderful insight and the terrific conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. So that's all for this week. We'll tune in next week for more on the Tennis with an Accent podcast.